This is It Was a Thing on TV. Punisher! Control! Tell me before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Episode 322, submission number 253, The McLean-Stevenson Show. The McLean-Stevenson Show aired on the NBC television network from December 1st, 1976 to March 23rd of 1977 for 12 episodes, two of which went unaired. Hello, Mac, you're living on love. It's a way in life. Got a little boy grin. Are you going to be our best friend? You know, Mac, you age like wine with your own sweet touch. And you love it so much, you're going to live it over again. Hello, Mac. You've got a heart of gold, so be good to yourself tonight. Hello, Mac. You're on a winning streak in your favor to win and you might You just might Hang on, Mac Hold on, Mac It has been way too long since we mentioned McLean Stevenson on this show, hasn't it? I think the last episode we did that fully involved McLean was Kondo. Then that was what? little over a year and a half ago, maybe? That was summer of 2020. It seemed like for a while, McLean Stevenson was the patron saint of this podcast. I mean, we had a whole month devoted to his many failures for crying out tears. But we haven't covered this one yet, have we? We were waiting for a special occasion to do it. And, well, McLean's birthday is November 14th. So this would have been his 95th birthday on November 14th. Okay. Like we said in any show involving McLean Stevenson, our friend here seems to have had his best successes while he was playing Lieutenant Colonel Henry Blake on MASH. And in 1975, he decided to leave the 4077 for... I guess what he saw at the time was greener pastures over at NBC. We'll never forget how he left that day. His plane was shot over the Sea of Japan. It spun in. There were no survivors. Anyway. He was then signed to a one-year contract by NBC after doing so, and that led to him being able to star and produce and develop his own vehicle. That was a variety show in November. Hey, hey, Chuck Testa, did did that last any longer than MASH? Nope. Alright, well, back to the drawing board, where somebody... Namely, Norman Barish and Carol Moore approached McLean with another idea. No, it wasn't another variety show. It was a sitcom, partly based on his life, but mostly based on the fact that he was just this everyman being pulled in several directions by several different people. This show would center on an owner of a hardware store in McLean Stevenson's actual hometown of Evanston, Illinois. But he would be living with his wife, his two grown children, one going to school and one getting over divorce. The divorcee's two other children... And McLean Stevenson's mother-in-law. This was basically Full House before Full House. NBC liked it. McLean liked it. And we were off and running for a January 1977 release. In fact, they shot the first seven episodes 
before that release. And then something happened at NBC in 1976. Basically, it was a case of cleaning house. And I want to say this was like a year or two before Fred Silverman, the master cleaner of the clean house, came in. On June 18, 1975, NBC, having just launched a news and information service, was basically hemorrhaging money. That operation did not last through 1977. As for the television side, they had hits like Adam 12, Rowan and Martin's Lappin, Ironside, and The Flip Wilson Show, but none of them pretty much made their way to the mid-70s where this show would show up. In fact, we would get such new shows as The Mystery Movie, Sanford and Son, Chico and the Man, Little House on the Prairie, The Midnight Special, The Rockford Files, Policewoman, and Emergency, all of which were doing very well for themselves. But under new president Herbert Schlosser, the NBC television network decided to go for younger demographics with movies, miniseries, and specials, all of which fetched a really hefty dime. I mean, these were supposedly event shows. If you remember a commercial for something called Centennial, which was based on a book and perhaps one of the most expensive series to be produced at that time, how did that do? Not only did it not attract younger viewers, it alienated older viewers. In fact, all of the shows that were introduced in the fall of 1975 were canceled. We also had the first season of Saturday Night, which would be, of course, NBC's Saturday Night, developed by Lorne Michaels and Dick Ebersol as a replacement for reruns of Carson. And remember... The reason it was called NBC Saturday Night was because Saturday Night Live, the title, was taken by ABC's Saturday Night Live with Howard Cosell. Yep, and that would be the only breakout success of 1975. But they did have one ace in the hole, and hopefully people who still watch MASH and still enjoy MASH would want to see more of McLean Stevenson in another vehicle, particularly in a vehicle that he had his hands in, that he helped shape and mold and direct and guide. That didn't happen, though, did it? We had a changing of the guard at NBC, and they decided that they took one look at the seven episodes that were painstakingly crafted by all of these talented individuals and decided, now, they scrapped them all and they started from scratch. So they basically had to crank out an entire series they thought they had until January. The program execs not only decided to replace an actor on the show, but they decided, hey, you're not launching in January. You're launching on December 1st. Oh my god! Oh my... (laughs) You know this is a disaster when the network's like, the first seven episodes, they all suck, and by the way, you're replacing one of the actors. By the way, remember when you said you had until January? Now you have until December. You have 11 months. Good luck. This is McLean Stevenson talking. This is an interview with the UPI as it appeared in the Millville Daily. We shot the first seven episodes, and then NBC changed program executives. 
The new guys didn't like one of the actors and replaced him with another. They scrapped the first seven episodes and started from scratch. Do you know what that does to a cast? Still, we weren't too upset. We thought we had plenty of time because we were going to air in January. Suddenly, they told us we'd go on December 1st. We've been working morning, noon, and night ever since. The minute we finish a show, it's on the air. We're running as fast as we can. Nobody knows when or if we'll ever catch up. And this is at a time where he was doing a nightclub stand as the opening act for Glenn Campbell at the Las Vegas Hilton. So, suffice it to say, he was busy. And he was accustomed to being busy. So, where did it go wrong? How did it go wrong? And what would become of the deal with McLean Stevenson and NBC afterwards? Those are all good questions, and hopefully we'll have the answer to them in the next few moments. But first, let's talk about the show. Like we said, McLean Stevenson played Mac Ferguson, who is the owner of a hardware store in Illinois, and the, I don't want to say put-upon husband, but that's the only thing I can think of that describes him, the put-upon husband of his wife Peggy and his two grown children, Janet and Chris. Chris has moved back home to go to school, and Janet's moved back home to get over a divorce, and she's brought her two children, David and Jason. Rounding out this pre-full house, full house, Grandma Ferguson, Mac's mother-in-law. Uh, let's talk about who played who on this show. Peggy Ferguson was played by Barbara Stewart, and the longest thing I saw on IMDb was 12 episodes of Pete and Gladys, 12 out of 72. She was a recurring character there. She might not have been in much, but she's best known as the ex-wife of Dick Godier. Oh, yeah. Now I remember her. Oh, yeah. Oh, big role for her, though. In 1980, she was Mrs. Kramer in Airplane. Playing Janet was Anne Ryman, who would be best known for, well, not much. I mean, she was basically a that woman in that thing during the 70s. She's been on Hawaii Five-0. Petricelli, Police Story. She had an uncredited role as a nurse in Jaws in 1975. But that's pretty much it. She didn't really do much before this show and hasn't done much since. Her last credited role was as Mavis in Firestorm 72 Hours in Oakland, the May 4 TV movie in 1993. And before that, she was in an episode of Midnight Caller on NBC. Playing the first Chris Ferguson was an actor by the name of Andrew Parks. He would survive the cut from episode four, but he would find himself on things like Homicide, Angel. He was on three episodes of Room 222 before this, so. But the guy they got to replace him, Steve Neville, he was the guy who replaced Andrew Parks as Chris. He's been on a little bit more. He played Steve in 11 episodes of Hope and Gloria in 1995 and 1996. And recently, he would be another guy named Steve in... Kaplan's Corner, whatever that is. What is Kaplan's Corner? A group of struggling actors who inherit an employment agency from their departed friend, Marvin Kaplan, a well-known character actor. The employment office is located on the upstairs of a theater and comes with a maintenance man. The agency specializes in finding jobs for out-of-work actors while they're waiting for their next gig. And 
Chris Pine's daddy was apparently in five episodes of this, whatever it is. No, seriously, what the heck is this? Hold on. You said Chris Pine's dad was in this? I said Chris Pine's daddy was in this. Oh, neat! So apparently it was on Prime Video. Didn't know that, but okay. Oh, I know why it's on Prime Video, because it was on Roku before. Okay. Anyway, back to the cast here. Playing David Ferguson is David Hollander, who was best known as the young boy with copy on 1980s Airplane, but is the music editor and music supervisor on Adult Swim's Black Dynamite. And other shows like My Gym Partner's a Monkey, Megas XLR, and the What a Cartoon Show. But he most notably played Wesley Sarnak in all 22 episodes of Call to Glory, which we mentioned in the Street Hawk episode. It was more or less the show that caused Street Hawk to get cancelled, if you remember that episode. Playing the role of Jason Ferguson is Jason Whitney, and this would be his only credit. And then rounding out the cast as Grandma Ferguson is Madge West, who also did not have a fruitful career for herself. I think she's had exactly one role before this as Mrs. Klatt in the TV movie of Look Homeward Angel. But yeah, that's the cast. McLean Stevenson, Barbara Stewart, and several other people. Several other people. But the guest stars they got on these episodes. Yowza. Episode 1. Who do you trust? Mac and his family help a doubt on his luck would-be burglar and his pregnant wife. And the first episode is on YouTube, so if you want to watch it, uh, you can, but... I watched maybe 10 minutes of it. I'm like, this was the best they could do for the first episode of the show. Remember, Greg, they were rushing to finish this on time. But they had 11 months. They had 11 months. They couldn't figure out a better first episode to get the people interested than this. No, they could not. And you know what's so funny? If you watch the premiere episode on YouTube, because this was taped off of Channel 4 in New York, there's a plot for Visit the Museum of Natural History. It's like NBC is basically saying, you could do so much better than watch this. Oh, dear. But look who they got to write this episode. The teleplay was written by Lloyd Garver, but the actual story came from the minds of Dennis Palumbo and Mark Avanier. Veritable television legend, Mark Avanier. And even they couldn't save it. And you know who they got to play the burglar Lenny? Oh, yes, I do know who they got to play the burglar Lenny. Jerry Hauser. Yes, Jerry Hauser, who we already talked about in the Brady Brides. And you know what? Maybe making a case for the show Hall of Fame. (laughs) Maybe. And I'm going to use your words, Greg. Not even he could save this show. No, Jerry Hauser could not save this show. Nothing could save this show because it was so terrible. And then in a role as Debbie, we had Janice Blythe, who is known for playing Ruby in the original The Hills Have Eyes, and then seven years later, playing Rachel and Ruby in the sequel The Hills Have Eyes 2. Episode 2, Oldie But Goody. Mac finds out his daughter Janet is dating Lloyd, a man in his age group. After his objections are ignored, Mac takes more drastic actions to end the romance. You know what someone's reaction would be when they heard that plot? Uh oh! Uh oh! <laughs> Wait till you hear who played Lloyd. 
Who played Lloyd? I'm ready. I'm sitting down. Who played You're Lloyd? Sitting, are you sitting down? Yes. Are you ready for this? Richard Mulligan. <laughs> Obviously a good year before soap. Obviously. <laughs> Richard Mulligan. Oh my god. Well, I got his say, career would get better. His no. career would get better, but I'm going to be quite honest. Richard Mulligan, for a man of his age, is kind of a very handsome man, if you think about it. He is a handsome man. Mike, you'd agree, right? Richard Mulligan, pretty handsome man for his age. No? I don't see it. <laughs> he, he does nothing for me. Oh, oh dear. Okay. Maybe it's just because when I think of Richard Mulligan, he was a little wackadoodle on soap. Yeah, yeah he would have been good looking. It. I don't think he so. Played he played it so well. Well, well but, yeah, but but also, like I said, he, he may have been a wackadoodle on soap, but he doesn't do anything to turn me on. I'm sorry. I'm not oh. talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what are you talking about then? Now I want to know what he's talking about. <laughs> you, 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 you said, isn't he a, a, a halfway decent looking guy? He doesn't do jack for me. <laughs> okay, moving on. Episode three, going his way. Mac has an unexpected guest when son Jeff brings home a new age guru whose ideas clash with Mac's. Gee, I haven't heard that one before. I thought we covered that in the condo episode. Anyway, Janet acquires a dog which causes complications in the household. Playing the role of the guru, Mr. Sutton, Will Albert, who played Sammy Kahn in Frost Nixon and Lieutenant Robbie in Private Benjamin. Oh, Private Benjamin. So this is where Mike's going to say, oh, I don't like Eileen Brennan. Oh. All right, Mike, get it out of your system. Now, I'm sorry. I was uh, spending too much time thinking about how gorgeous Richard Mulligan is. <laughs> but playing Mrs. Swenson, another character, Lonnie Anderson. Oh, yes, Lonnie Anderson. A good two years before WKRP. But hey, in this episode playing Larry, oddly enough, playing Larry in this episode is John Volstad. He didn't play Larry, but he played not his brother Daryl. He was the other brother Daryl on Newhart. You remember? I'm Larry. This is my brother Daryl. This is my other brother Daryl. He was the other brother Daryl. The other brother Daryl, not Daryl. The other brother named Daryl. The other brother named Daryl, right. See, everyone thinks about Daryl. Nobody thinks about the poor other brother named Daryl. I'm beginning to think that Larry was the new age guru that Jeff brought home. He might as well have been. Episode 4. Max Fatal Charm. One of Janet's divorced friends, Linda, drops by and is attracted to Father Mac. Flattered by the attention, Mac begins to wonder if he is capable of infidelity. As we established in the last episode, Mac is a staunch Republican. So, that's all I'm going to say about that. Playing the role of Linda, who is attracted to Mac, is Nancy Stevens who would have been best known in the first two Halloween movies as Marion, and also in Halloween H2O 20 years later, reprising the role. And she also played the same role in Halloween Kills. But she wasn't in Halloween Ends, though. Or the 2018 Halloween. And she also wasn't in Rob Zombie's Halloween. Well, that's probably a good thing. Uh, yeah, that's that's definitely a good thing. 
Episode 5, The Great Rift. Mac and Peggy have a huge fight after Peggy accuses her husband of not dealing honestly with his feelings. Mac leaves the house in anger and manages to get himself into trouble. And playing a role as Charlene in this episode, one of Tom and Abby Bradford's eight kids, Susan Richardson. Oh, that's fantastic. Susan Richardson. She was on Pyramid. She did all the shows. Yeah, she did the circuit back then. I have to wonder how long she was in the circuit. It's like, her last episode of Super Password was in 87. So when did 8 is enough from here? 77? So probably a good decade. 73. Or no, 77, my mistake. You're right. Of course I'm right. Because Mark Hamill was in the pilot of 8 is enough. And he obviously couldn't do that because he was in Star Wars. Yeah. So they replaced him with Grant Goody. Mark Hamill went on to play the Joker on Batman the Animated Series. What has Grant Goodeve ever done? He was in Twin Peaks to return! I'll shut up then. Episode 6. Wait, 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 wait. Now you need to let me chime in with what does okay. Grant Goodeve ever do. Okay. He was on a week of few with Marilyn McCoo. Okay, episode 8. I'm sorry. Or episode 7 or episode <laughs> I was, 6 I was or whatever. I was busy doing the wrong glass face. You're thinking about Richard Mulligan, too? Okay, good. <laughs> Episode 6. Janet leaves home. Janet takes the kids and moves out, tired of living under her parents' roof. Mac and Peggy learn that she has moved to a scary part of town with her home, a dump, and a peeping Tom as a neighbor! Uh-oh! 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 Hold on a second! Was George McFly the neighbor? Thank God, no. He's a peeping Tom. Greg, I want you to get ready here. Okay. Playing the role of George was a man by the name of Christopher Beaumont, who is known less for being a writer on Die Gang and Pensacola Wings of Gold, and more for being the second Mr. Gloria Loring. And we all know who the first Mr. Gloria Loring was. <laughs> oh, hold on. I need to get that. Yellow. Hello. <laughs> Alan, we were just talking about your ex-wife. Oh, yeah. Why are you talking about my ex-wife, guys? Oh, because her new husband was on this show with McLean Stevenson. What? My ex-wife's new husband was on this piece of crap? <laughs> yeah, he was on... Hey, McLean Stevenson was a nice person. Oh, yes, he was. Yeah. Yo, he, yo uh, I was on the bench game at Squares Hour, just like him. Yeah, I believe you were married to Gloria Loring at the time, weren't you? Yes, I was. Yeah. Did you know that Robin Thicke was Chris Beaumont's stepson? Of course I knew that, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I just wanted to bring up Robin Thicke once. Okay, why would you want to bring up my son? I don't know. Because you felt like it? Hey, it felt right. What can I say? Hey, guys, I want to tell you about something I'm going to be doing. Uh, Hey, guys, you know what I'm going to be doing? Like, something for Crystal Light? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Are you talking about the the thing with the uh, uh, aerobics and the people in the skin-tight lycra? Yeah, that's right. I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to be doing aerobics sponsored by Crystal Light. I'm going to be hosting that. Good. I found something to get my mind off of Richard Mulligan. Thank you, Alan. <laughs> Why would you be thinking about Richard Mulligan, Mike? <laughs> that's not important, Alan. Ooh, right. that, that, that's not important. <laughs> I'll give you the answer to that and more important questions on the next episode of Soap. <laughs> well, um, if you want to get started on that whole crystal light thing, I'm not going to sit here and waste your time. All right. But I'll tell you, Rubik's are like the big thing here in the 80s. Hey, I know. Hey, 
I'm a child of the 80s. I know this. Yeah, that's damn straight. Hey, you haven't seen aerobics until you've seen uh, Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse in full body costumes doing aerobics. What? Mickey Mouse doing aerobics? That's going to be one of the wildest things I've ever heard. You're not ready for it, man. Oh, well, apparently I'm not. You're not. You're not ready for it. No. Okay, well, I gotta get back in the, uh, the tortoise, and I gotta hang up this phone call. Uh, All right. I'll see you later, guys. I'll see you on the next reference. All right. Hey, Mike, you think I should have told him what happens in 30 years to that video? No. Playing the role of Susan, Sandra Kearns, a.k.a. the second mother in the second family that Charles was in charge of. We're halfway through the episodes. It's a great time to take a little commercial break. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a few minutes. Oh, Marcel, I would like your very finest cheese. If you appreciate great cheese taste, you'll like nacho cheese-flavored Doritos brand tortilla chips. Nacho cheese flavor. The crunch says Doritos. The flavor says cheese. Nacho cheese Doritos brand tortilla chips. One of three great flavors. This is NBC News Update. Brought to you by American Express Travelers Checks. Here is Tom Snyder. Good evening. Gary Gilmore is to die by firing squad Monday, two days after he's 36. That's what he wants, but somebody might appeal. NBC News correspondent Irving R. Levine says Soviet leader Brezhnev told Treasury Secretary Simon he won't needle Jimmy Carter. Economic indicators stayed level in October after two bad drops. The watchword now, cautious optimism. Jose Lopez Portillo is Mexico's new president, facing restless peasants, shrunken pesos, and big debts there. Angola, finally a member of the United Nations tonight. At Cape Canaveral, they knocked down the old gantry from which the first astronauts flew. And President Ford's suburban Washington home is for sale. He wants $137,000. He paid $34,000, but there is a pool. That's tonight's update from NBC News, New York. The worst thing that can happen on vacation is to lose your money. Don't take chances. Carry American Express traveler's checks. Don't leave home without them. George C. Scott and Trish Vanderveer star in Hallmark Hall of Fame's stunning new special, Beauty and the Beast, a bizarre love affair between a beautiful woman and a strange and passionate man-beast. Beauty and the Beast, Friday at 8.30, 7.30 Central and Mountain Time on NBC. Back to the show. Episode 7, Mac and Big Mac. Mac's father, Big Mac, arrives for a stay and proceeds to make the house his makeover project, to Peggy's displeasure. Big Mac turns his attention to the hardware store, and Mac has a talk with his dad that he's been avoiding. Playing the role of Big Mac is Malcolm Atterbury, who you might have remembered as Deputy Al Malone in Alfred Hitchcock's Magnum Opus, The Birds. Chico, when you said Mac and Big Mac, I was thinking, was that the sequel to Mac and Me? (laughs) Oh, no. Mac is enough eating competition to eat all the Big Macs as possible. That would have been the sequel. It would have been McLean the co- Stevenson would never go for that, though. I'm not talking about McLean Stevenson. I'm talking about the alien puppet Mac from Mac and Me. <laughs> oh, you didn't see it, but Chico was doing the Mac face from Mac and Me. And by the way, please go in the archives and listen to the Mac and Me live show that me and Mike did. Because that was the, that was the stupidest live show we ever did, but holy crap, was that hilarious. Chico, I'm so sad you missed it, but oh god. 
Episode 8, What Makes Mac Run? A city council seat unexpectedly opens and his family convinces Mac to try for it. A committee is selecting the next candidate and Mac must convince them he is the best choice. I got some news for you. He's not the best choice for the job. Just look at McLean Stevenson. No, he's not fit for this. No. Anyway, a uh, couple of names in this episode. Playing Mrs. Alcott was Carol Arthur, who you would probably remember as the complaining villager in Robin Hood, Men in Tights, Harriet Johnston in Blazing Saddles, and... Oh, gosh. What? What are you oh god A villager in Dracula, dead and loving it. Ah, oh, Dracula, dead and loving it, with Leslie Nielsen. I'm guessing she's one of the people on that council who's looking for a candidate. Playing another one of those women, Mrs. Turner, would be Ruth Cobart, who was a choir nun in both Sister Act movies and played Miss Jones in the 1967 original version of How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. But she was also Mrs. Finley in previous entry, Life with Lucy. You want to talk about making the rounds? She did it all. Episode 9, Grandma's Secret. Grandma's been dating a dapper captain, which pleases Mac and Peggy. The announcement that the two are to get married and move into an already crowded house changes their attitude. Oh, God. Guys. 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 We do have a return of Malcolm Atterbury as Big Mac Ferguson, but guess who plays the captain? Edward Andrews. Let's just say he's a couple of months away from being the captain of something else. The Super Train. Oh, yes! He's the captain of the Super Train. <laughs> or I guess he would say the chief engineer, but, you know, when you have a train that has a control room that looks like it's out of the USS Enterprise, you can't help but use the verbiage. What can I say? Now, hold on a second. Now, Mike, I know back when we did Super Train, you explained why didn't they have any NBC stores on Super Train? You know what? They could have had McLean on Super Train. It would have been great. It would have just fit like a glove. But he doesn't fit the requirement of an NBC star. But he was on Hello Larry at the time, Mike. Again, he doesn't pass the hurdle of star. But I'm trying to say you complain about why didn't NBC promote their own stars on Super Train? I gave you an example. Okay, that's fair. But hey, I want to give the capsule for this episode that I have because um, I just like the way it's phrased. So uh, this is the one about uh, Grams and the tugboat captain. Yes. Okay. I'm ready. I'm all I'm re- I'm sitting down. Here we go. Oh, uh, uh, the, the Greg heard this earlier, and just the way this is written, I, I need to share this. All right. Grams announces her engagement to a retired tugboat captain, and Mac looks forward to having an extra room and one less mouth to feed, but the Commodore has a surprise for him. You won't believe what happened. You, you won't. You won't believe what happens. Nope. That's the new hilarity ensues. What, you won't believe what happens? Yes! <laughs> oh my gosh. Welcome to the show, Corky. Next, we have money troubles. Yeah, when the captain moves in, you get money troubles. That's basically what happens afterwards. No. When Mac complains too often about the bills, Janet gets a job as a cocktail waitress. Her dad, Mac, isn't pleased at her choice of work establishments. Especially when one of her co-workers is named Fanny. 
By the way, Fanny is played by Beverly Sanders, who we will cover in January on another listener-requested show. We'll let that be a surprise for now. But she was also known as a recurring character, six episodes worth, as Susan Alborn in Rhoda. Nowadays, she could have been seen on three episodes of Entourage. Two as Eric's receptionist, and one as a lady named Jane. Oh, and fun fact, Andrew Parks returns to the show as a character named Alan. No mention is made of him looking like a son from a previous life. And now we begin the episodes that did not make the air. The first one, Strangers in the Night. With some difficulty, Mac and Peggy get the house to themselves for a quiet, romantic anniversary celebration. Two of Alan's friends from the commune show up and ruin the evening. Unfortunately, we do not know who those people are or who played them because they are not on IMDb. Sorry. Episode 12, Say It Isn't So. Peggy announces to the family that she may be pregnant. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And that's it. That's the show. Another fun fact, we talked about how this show is put together, produced by uh, McLean Stevenson. We also have another name producing this show. Are you ready for this? Monty Hall. Well, I guess it makes sense considering McLean would later work with his daughter on Hello, Larry. Yep. I did find an interesting interview with Monty Hall talking about McLean Stevenson. Oh? Yes, I did. If we could get a soundbite on your thoughts, not on the show you did, but on, on the person... Uh, McLean Stevenson. Very hard to work with. Very hard to work with on MASH, as Larry Gelbar told me. Uh, he wanted he wanted out of MASH, he wanted a series of his own. And I sold my first comedy sitcom. I, I sold it to um, NBC, as you know. And I used um, William Wyndham in a starry role, a fine actor. John McMahon at NBC called me and says, Monty, we have a contract with McLean Stevenson. You use McLean Stevenson, you got a deal. Just like I had with Bob Hilton having to call him one day, was a sad point, it was a sad day for me to call William Wyndham and tell him, I gotta sell the show, Bill. And uh, you know, you can have friendships and uh, admiration and all that, but I gotta sell the show. So I gotta take McLean Stevenson, which turned out to be a big mistake. Well, McLean changed every script. McLean changed every person, every character in the pilot. He fired them all, he brought his own people in. And he wanted all the laughs. And you know, the secret of sitcoms is you have to have ensemble. Ensemble. Cheers, Taxi, every show. Seinfeld. Seinfeld made umpteen zillion dollars because he let the other three people be stars. McLean didn't want anybody else to have a laugh. And that's, that's a, a, a sad story on any sitcom is you cannot be in one and everybody else getting no laughs at all. My daughter did a show with, um, with um, The Wind Beneath My, My Wings. What's her name? Ed Midler. Thank you. My daughter did a series with Bette Midler. Bette Midler wanted every laugh. You cannot be successful if you are going to be 30 minutes of you. You have to build up all the people around you. Jack Benny told me a great story. I met Jack Benny, who was a very dear friend. I was having lunch with him one day, and he said, Marty, you know, Jack Benny taught, Marty, I watch your show every day is Mary loves the show, and I love the show. And he says, you know, what I notice about your show is that you never take a close-up. And you own the show. And I said, Jack, 
I don't take a close-up because the drama of the show is in the contestant's reaction. The door opens, let's get a look on her face, not my face. The box is revealed, what does she see? What she won? I want to see her reaction. That's the only close-up on the show. There's a two-shot of the contestant myself, fine. But when the reveal comes, the camera has to go in on her and see her reaction when she wins or loses the card. Well, at this point I'd ask, okay, where did the show go wrong? But I think Monty pretty much summed it up. It's like, this is the McLean Stevenson show, but there had to be like a chemistry within everybody involved. And McLean Stevenson just had to be front and center for everything. I mean, you have what the producers told McLean. You had what Monty told McLean. You have all of this together. It seems like it was a disaster from the start, almost. Pretty much. And I haven't even looked at the schedule yet. Originally, the McLean Stevenson show aired on Wednesday nights at 8.30 p.m. after CPO Sharky, but before Sirota's Court, which we've referred to in the past. It was up against, and this isn't good, the second half hour of the Bionic Woman and the Jeffersons. Oh, that's bad. Oh. You're not going to get any viewers up of those two. You're just not. It gets a little bit better because in mid to late January of 77, the Jeffersons is gone. But in its place is a show called The Jacksons. It was a variety show with the Jackson 5. Oh, it didn't run very long, uh, but yeah, it, it was. Uh, it had uh, Michael and Marlon and Tito and Jackie and Randy and Latoya and Janet and Jermaine. And Don't forget whole... Jermaine. No, Jermaine's not listed here. Jermaine's not listed. That's an insult. I'm pretty sure Jermaine was on that show. I don't know. I don't... I, I'm looking at IMDb. It's... I, I one person who was on two episodes was David Letterman. We just talked about him last episode. Oh my God. Oh boy. You know what I bet David said to Michael? Uh, you got any gum? Oh boy. But yeah, it didn't last all that long. Uh, it was uh, canceled uh, early March of 77. So take it for what it's worth. But then later on in the run, it moved from 8.30 to 9.30. It did go up against the second half hour of the uh, Wednesday night movie on CBS. But on ABC, it went up against the second half hour of Beretta. Ooh. I'm actually looking at a schedule from March 3rd, 1977, which was a Thursday. It was up against uh, the Tony Randall show on ABC. But you know what it was up against on CBS? The second half hour of 5-0, y'all. Well, 5-0 at that point would have been like the, what, ninth season? So uh, it lasted about three more years. I think it uh, went off the air in 80. So it, it, I don't want to say it's in its waning days, but but yeah, it's in the late 70s now. So it, it's sort of petering out. Wednesday and Thursday was just not NBC's night, and unfortunately, that was probably the only place they could have put that show. You're not going to give up a slot besides Sanford and Son unless you have a whole lot of promise. And judging from what I just heard, there was no promise at all. And I think my thoughts about this show can be best summed up by Jimmy Walker in this clip from the Archive of American Television talking about Poland in this rather funny moment from Hollywood Squares. As it went on, he got more bitter and angry and that gay, nasty thing. And it was so funny. And the best line, whether you use this line or not, the best line he ever had, you got to remember, it's way back in the 70s. So remember that. Mm -hmm. Way back in the 70s. The young guys won't know, but this line crush the audience. Peter says, okay, Paul, it has failed in the United States twice. It's failed in France three times. It's failed in England three times. It's failed in Russia six times. 
It has failed in Europe seven times over, you know, over the years. It is now coming back to the United States. It has failed twice here. What is it? He says, the McLean Stevenson show. <laughs> I, they had to stop tape. It got such a big laugh. Thanks, Paul. The McLean Stevenson show. I don't think we've ever had two archive interviews on a podcast episode before, have we? No, that's a first. This is a historic moment! But, yeah. After a few weeks on Wednesday nights at 8.30, and then Wednesday nights at 9.30, and then one week on Thursday night at 9.30, the McLean Stevenson show was one of the many things on TV that McLean Stevenson insisted on being the center of attention to. But it would not be the last, obviously. We haven't even covered his worst show ever. And I'm going to leave it at that. But in the meantime, we can leave you to visit our website. It was a thing on TV.com. You have all of our episodes, all of our mini-sodes, all of our live watches. Of course, we're all also available where fine podcasts can be streamed. Don't forget to like, rate, review. Five stars only because positive vibes only. And if you're on YouTube, hit the notification bell so you can stay up to date on all of our future entries. Like a couple of sort of compilation episodes we have in store next week. I think you're going to enjoy these. But for now, for Mike, for Greg, I'm Chico. Thank you so much for listening. Please be kind to each other, and we'll see you for the next one. Wow! Next time on It Was a Thing on TV. Are you sick and tired of where you are, working hard for years for nothing? Are you excited about watching my student making a fortune on TV? You know, many of these people started out with little or no cash and no credit, no experience. Do you have a guts to step out of where you are to achieve your financial freedom? Then come to my three hours success and real estate investing seminar. The cover charge for this seminar is not $1,000. It's not even $500. It's not even $100. The cover charge, my friend, is free. Free. And if you're not willing to spend three free hours to learn from a self-made millionaire to maximize your opportunity, you deserve to be broke.